0: This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter, it is just a couple pages before the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. An usher would would uh, will get one to you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to to take that one home as our gift to you as well. We will be in second Peter and we will be in chapter one. and if you're you're just joining us, uh, I too want to to welcome you. Uh, what we we typically do on Sunday mornings is we go through different books of the Bible, we go, verse by verse and section by section and we just completed a, a series in the the book of Jude last week and next week we look forward to jumping into the book of Colossians and very excited to go through that book through uh, which will take us through a, a good part of the summer but as we were between series and 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 discussing and praying as a pastoral team uh, what we should uh, look at this morning uh, this passage in second Peter has been a a passage that has been ministering to my own soul for the past few weeks, and we felt led as a team to to look at it together. So we will be in 2 Peter chapter 1 and starting in verses 3 and going through verse 11. And the title of this morning's message is The Pursuit of Godliness. This is the word of the Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For these qualities are yours and are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever lacks these qualities so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless the reading, now the preaching of his holy word. This past Sunday, uh, my wife Jess and myself and my son Luke uh, were out walking around at Fairmount Park enjoying the the beautiful spring weather and the the beautiful scenery, all the the lovely flowering trees. And uh, as as we were, I found myself wrestling with a question. That is the question of whether or not I should get back into exercising. Is it worth it? This is the, the question that was going through my mind as I watched as, as hundreds, maybe thousands of, of people were either running by or, or riding, on, riding by on their, their bikes, and I just found myself is this whole exercise thing worth it? It's been a, a question I've been wrestling with for some time. Uh, I desire to, to get back into shape. I, I desire the, the benefits that, that come with exercise, with, with feeling healthier. but. If I'm honest, I, I want those benefits with the most minimum amount of effort as possible. Uh, reminds me of a, a number of years ago when I was uh, still working in the remodeling industry, and I was I was working at a booth at, at the Philadelphia Home Show at the convention center, and 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 we we happened to be stationed right next to the booth of a guy who who was selling. What I, I think you could call exercise equipment, though I don't know if legally you're, you're allowed to, but all you had to do with this particular piece of exercise equipment was, was stand there and hold it, and it would shake you so much, supposedly it was going to get you in the best shape of your life. supposed to burn all kinds of calories, cure all kinds of ailments. It was just this miracle working machine. Optimal health results with minimum effort required. And I, I spent a, a very awkward weekend trying to ignore the, the thousands of people that were vibrating in the, the booth next to me. And, and, and as strange as it was this, was, this was the most popular booth at the home show, even considering the fact that if you were looking to, to cast a guy as like the, the shadiest looking salesman you could find for a movie, the guy who was selling these, this was your guy, right? And yet these things, it, it, was, it was still a hit. It was, uh, you know, these things were selling... Like hotcakes. Who doesn't want optimal health with minimal effort? Friends, if, if we're honest, can't we hope for the same thing when it comes to our spiritual health? We want to enjoy a a rich, vibrant, fruitful walk with God and, and, and yet don't we hope that we can experience this with as little effort as possible? This is what our, our text addresses this morning. In our text, the Apostle Peter is nearing the the end of his life. And and knowing this, he's writing what will be his his final letter to a a group of believers that that he loves dearly. And and he writes to them, encouraging them to to give themselves wholeheartedly to the pursuit of their spiritual health. What, What he refers to in our text as a life of godliness, a life of spiritual health and growth and vitality a life that's lived with, with an ever-increasing God-centeredness. Peter wants his people to thrive spiritually long after he is gone, and he, he knows it will require more than just the, the minimal amount of effort on their part, but will require them to make every effort in the intentional pursuit of this, this life of, of godliness. Peter writes to his people to encourage them that, that this life of godliness is, is worth the effort, and in so doing, he encourages our own souls in our own pursuit of godliness. And we want to look at three points this morning from our text to encourage our souls in this pursuit. First, we're going to look at the provision for godliness, what God has given us to enable us to to live godly lives. Second, the pursuit of godliness, how we are to pursue it. And then finally, point number three, the promise of godliness why this, this pursuit is, is so important. What does God promise those who seek to live lives of, of godliness for his glory? So let's look at point number one, the provision for godliness. Look again at, at verse three with me. Peter begins by saying, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Peter re- begins by reminding us that we have been called to Christ. The, the word called here refers to what theologians often refer to as God's effectual call, meaning this is not simply just kind of a, an invitation that we can take or, or leave, but rather this, this call is a, a divine summons through which actually comes not only the invitation, but the, the power to, to believe and to have faith in Christ. This is a call that, that raises the, the spiritually dead from, from death to life. Think of the uh, NFL draft, the long-awaited NFL draft that, that football fans have been waiting for uh, that's going to be taking place this upcoming week. And of the players that, that will be glued to their phones, waiting with their phones in hand for that call from the, the NFL team that's going to call them and say, hey, we've chosen you, you're, you're our guy. And how, how that call will, will change their lives. yet friends, as, as, as great as a thing as that is, as, as wonderful as an accomplishment, how much greater is the, the call that we've received? The, the king of the universe, the, the one here Peter describes as glorious and excellent, has called us, it says, to, to know him, and, and, and he has incredible plans and, and purposes for us. And what we, we see is with this divine power that has called us to himself, we've been granted everything we need to live out this calling that, that we've been called to. It says his divine power has granted us. It's past tense. It's, it's already ours. All things that pertain to, to life and godliness. Peter here is, is using a, a literary device known as a hendiadys. if I said that word right, um, which it takes two words, life and godliness, that really represent one thing. What, what Peter is saying is he's granted to us everything we need for a, a life of godliness. Peter is saying true life is godliness. A life lived with a, a God-centeredness at, at every aspect of it. We were made to live this way. God, our, our creator, who, who is life himself, has, has made us to live For him, that's what it means to really live. As Peter says, when we come to know Christ in salvation, at that moment, not not only do we experience the forgiveness of our sins and the the promise of eternal life, but but we also become heirs with immediate access to a a spiritual treasure trove of divine resources to enable us to live this life of, of godliness we've been created to live there's this phrase we use in our culture. When, when, when someone has all the financial resources they will ever need to the extent where they'll, they'll never have to worry about money again, they'll never have to, to work again, we, we, we say they've become set for life. What Peter is saying here is spiritually we are set for life. We've been given everything we could ever need to live this life of godliness that we've been called to. And friends, notice, notice how this statement isn't qualified. He doesn't say you've been granted everything you need for life and godliness as, as long as, as life is is going smoothly. No. He doesn't qualify, which means we've been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness in, in every situation and every season of life that we'll find ourselves in. Every temptation we will battle in, in all the, the suffering and, and difficulty that we will inevitably face in the midst of relational conflict we've been granted all we need in the midst of exhaustion when it feels like the last thing we're able to do at the moment is to to glorify God it says we have all we need friends whatever we are facing today God has granted to us all we will ever need to bring him glory in, in all that we will ever face and everything he will ever call us to do He's granted to us all things that are needed for life and godliness. Verse 4, we're told what these things are that have been granted to us. It says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We, we have all that we need because we've been granted these precious and very great promises of God. I, I love that description. Precious and very great. And, and how precious and very great are these promises Promises like he will never leave us or forsake us. We may feel alone, but but we are never alone. Promises like him providing for all our needs. That we might not get everything we want, we will never be in wants. Promises like he will protect us. We we may walk through dark valleys, but but we will never ultimately suffer spiritual harm. We are, are secure in Christ through these Great and precious promises that we have forgiveness of sins, we're, we're reconciled to our God. It's through these great and precious promises that not only are we forgiven and reconciled, but now we've become God's adopted, beloved children. We, friends, we could spend the, the rest of our lives just mining the riches of these great and precious promises that we have been given in Christ. It's through his his holy word that that he's preserved these these great and precious promises for us. We we have a a record that contains all that God has has promised for us, a a legally binding testament of all that is ours in Christ. Everything we need for life and godliness is found in these pages. The riches we have in God's word, they're so precious and very great. And we, hear, we see here that, that Peter has some specific promises in mind that while he writes. And these are the promises that God made that not only would he, he save his people, but he would also change his people. It says in verse 4 about these promises that, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Peter here may have been thinking of a promise like Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts or a promise like Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules Promises to put his his very spirit within us. That, that Peter says that we will become partakers of the divine nature. Now, now pay close attention, it doesn't say that we become divine, it says we partake. But, but God's spirit enables us to live for Him. Whereas before we were trapped by our own sinful desires, unable to live for God's desires and, and God's purposes. Now now the the, the Lord, through His Spirit, begins a a process of spiritual renewal within us. It says in in verse 4, we've now escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, we we were imprisoned by our our own sinful hearts. Our hearts that Ezekiel described as as hearts of of stone. Our hearts were this impenetrable stone fortress. And yet, God has, has broken into this impenetrable fortress, and he's, he's now changing us from within. Where, whereas before we, we couldn't live for God, God now through his spirit empowers us to be able to do so. As his promises have set us free and enabled us to live for him, our, our Christian lives are to be lives of, of continually clinging to God's promises because in these precious and very great promises, we, we find all that we need to live lives of godliness. Friends, what, what promise of God is he calling you to cling to today? I encourage you spend some time this afternoon. Think, think about that, that question. What promise is he calling you to cling to today? Whatever you are facing, there is a promise in God's word to meet your needs. Whatever you'll face tomorrow, there's a, a promise in God's word to meet your needs. Let us, let us take hold of of these promises. I love the, the picture Pastor Ray Ortlin paints of, of what, what this looks like. He calls, he, he calls it wallpapering our reality with the, the promises of God. In, in other words, let, let them be everywhere we look. Memorize them, discuss them, pray over them, write them on index cards, tape them inside your kitchen cabinets, tape them on your mirrors, tape them on your steering wheel, set them as reminders on your phone. Friends, let these promises Never leave our sight. Let Never leave our hearts. God has provided us with all that we need in Christ through his precious and very great promises. And because of that, we can live a life in pursuit of greater and greater degrees of godliness. Let's look at point number two, the pursuit of godliness. Look with me at verse five. It says, for this very reason, make every effort. For this very reason. Follow the the logic here. Because you've been given everything you need, because you've been set free, make every effort to live out this new reality that you find yourself in. Know that while you've escaped the bondage of sin, and that sin is, is no longer your master, sin is now like an eager prison warden whom you've escaped from, hot on your heels, determined to bring back to captivity, the one who got away. In other words, because you escaped, keep on going. Don't turn back. You've escaped the the slavery of corruption. It says, now make every effort to pursue the opposite of that corruption, which is spiritual health and and, and, and growth. Peter is calling us to do everything we can do to do this. Make every effort, he says. There's this, this call to Intentionality. This, this is to be our, our great ambition, our, our great passion, what we are to give our utmost attention and energy to. Now, if we're honest as, as Christians, I think at, at times we start to feel a little uncomfortable with, with an exhortation like this. You know, we, we can view effort and the, the Christian life as, as two things that, that aren't really meant to go to go. Go together, you know, oil and water, beer and firecrackers, right? They're they're not meant to to go together. It can sound legalistic to us, like we're we're trying to to earn our salvation. However, the the issue in scripture is 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 never with effort in and of itself. It's it's with effort for the wrong reasons, and it, it's very important we don't miss the connection here. Peter says, for this very reason. Make every effort. We we can never separate the reason from the effort. That's why our our efforts to to be godly will will never save us. If our our reason for our efforts is the hope they will save us, friends, then we have no hope. We are saved through faith alone in Christ alone. But when we have faith in Christ, then we, we should, as it says, make every effort to pursue living a godly life for the the sake of Christ. He he is worthy of our every effort. We we shouldn't settle for anything less than giving our best efforts to to follow him. If we do, we're we're selling ourselves short from the the joy that that comes from living the the godly lives that, that Christ has for us. What we have in Christ through the gospel must always be why we make every effort towards living a life of godliness. Both aspects of this are, are so important. You see, Peter wants to protect us from kind of a, a spiritual ap- apathy that takes this kind of laissez-faire approach to our, our spiritual lives. You know, I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let it happen organically. You know, I'll grow organically. I mean, let's be honest. What typically grows without effort? Weeds, right? I mean, uh, you know, ask anyone who you know who's into gardening or, or farming, and what they will tell you is there is effort and intentionality that is required. In the same way, we, we, we don't just drift into godliness. I, I love the, the picture, the late 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Well, he's got to find a way to get Spurgeon uh, in a sermon. He gives describing the, the Christian life here. He says, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor and cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. Isn't this... So true. Friends, spiritual growth and godliness requires our effort. An effort we've been given everything we need to to make, but nevertheless, it requires our effort. And Peter says this effort is to be be made to supplement our faith. The word in the, the Greek here for supplement means to provide at one's own expense. There's this idea of, of spending our resources to make this happen. We, we invest our time, we invest our energy, we invest our attention. And Peter in our text he begins to paint this picture what, of what a life lived like, the, the one he's calling us to live actually looks like. And, and the, this this picture he paints is not necessarily exhaustive but but rather it's descriptive of what it looks like to grow into a faith that's being fully formed, what a, what a life of increasing godliness looks like. Painting this this picture, he gives us a way to kind of evaluate our, our spiritual health. In, in the same way, we'd go to a doctor for our annual physical exam, and the doctor will use certain metrics to determine if we're healthy. right? He'll take our, our height and weight, our blood pressure, do some blood work. Here, here Peter provides us with some, some spiritual metrics, if you will, to help determine if we're, we're spiritual, health, spiritually healthy. What does a, a healthy spirituality look like? He begins the list by saying, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. This word virtue means moral excellence. Same word that is used in verse three when it says, speaking of Jesus, that we're called to his own glory and excellence, his, his virtue. Just as we are called to the one who is excellent, we are called to live with a desire to reflect him by, by living lives of, of moral virtue, lives devoid of, of sinful compromise and sinful resignation. So, says to virtue we are to add knowledge, just as we saw in verse 3 that we're, we're given the, the privilege of the, the knowledge of Christ. We are to seek to continue to grow more and more in that knowledge and, and let that knowledge overflow to, to every facet of our lives. This is our growing in a knowledge of, of what we have in Christ and God's word and his, his promises and, and how we, we live this out. This is, this is a knowledge that really speaks of the, the biblical idea of, of wisdom, the ability to take what we know and navigate life in accordance with, with this knowledge. It's growth that's not content with simply knowing, but, but also with, with applying to our lives what, what we know. To knowledge, we add self-control. Part of our spiritual health is simply learning to say no to things, right? The the same way we will never experience really any type of health, uh, physical health or relational health or financial health without learning to say no. So it is with our our spiritual health. We, We grow in saying no to our sinful desires. We also grow in saying no to things that might even be good or at the very least morally neutral but, but might not be the, the best things for our spiritual health. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful, meaning they're, they're permissible, but, but not all things are helpful. All things are, are lawful, but, but not all things build up. Not, not all things are going to help us grow in godliness. Part of godliness is just learning to say no to what might prove to be unhelpful. Honestly, friends, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out there. It might sting a little bit, probably for, for all of us, but well, why don't we start with our phones, right? How, you know, how often do we just need to say no when our, our phones are beckoning for, for our attention? You know, we, we can invest that, that time and that, that attention uh, elsewhere so that we're built up. Um, you know, we, we can waste so much of it on screens. on screens. It says to self-control, we are to add perseverance. Are we growing and pressing into the Lord in in difficult things? When we feel like throwing in the towel, are we more and more turning to the Lord in prayer and and pouring out our heart to the Lord and trusting Him and, and learning to cling to His precious and very great promises? Perseverance, we add godliness. We've been talking about this. Again, a life lived in, in reference to God. Our lives are God-centered. They're Christ-centered. Um, all things, as it says in, in Romans eleven thirty-six, 36, all things are from him and through him and to him. As it says. To godliness, we add brotherly affection. Greek word here is a word we're all familiar with. Philadelphia, yes. Spiritual health and godliness include having a growing affection and love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. A growing commitment and and affection for his church. and We we live out this affection in the way we we treat one another, the way we care for one another and sacrifice for one another. Finally, to brotherly affection we are to add love. It says what we know to be the, the, the crowning virtue. Seek to be absolutely committed to the good of another even at our own expense, as those who have been called by the one who who loved us and gave himself for us, we in turn love others and are willing to to sacrifice for their good and flourishing. Well biblical scholars generally believe that there there isn't necessarily a reason for the overall order of of this list we, we just went through. Many do believe there is intention on, on Peter's part, beginning with faith and ending in love. Right? This is what we see throughout Scripture. Our faith is always supposed to lead us to love. it says in 1 Timothy 1:5, the, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Or as it, it says in Galatians 5:6, and I, I love how the, the NIV says it here. This is just one of those, those, these life verses, it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Right? What, what a beautiful picture of the, the Christian life. This is the goal of our faith, that we live lives of love for the glory of God. Friends, this is a picture of the, the type of people that God is forming us into. This, this is what he's calling us to pursue, to, to grow in these things. And, and, and let us use all the resources at our disposal that He's given us to do this. Let, let us meditate on His Word and on His promises day and night. Let us fellowship with one another and encourage one another in this. Let us sp- spend time throughout our day in prayer, growing in, in the relationship we have of the One who called us to know Him. Let us read and, and listen to teaching to help us know His Word better and learn how to better Apply it to our lives. Let's be committed to gather weekly, as we're doing today, to, to learn and grow and worship. Friends, He is worthy of all our effort. Now, I, I do want to, to pause for a moment and, and just speak to what I think could be a struggle for many of us with, with an exhortation like this. Our lives can already feel so overwhelming. As it is, perhaps you may be thinking, you know, thanks, I just feel like you just drops, you know, just gave me another list of, of ways I'm going to fall short, right? Another list I, I can't keep up with. If you're, if you're tempted to feel this way, a couple quick thoughts for you. First, remember what we talked about, that, that we can never separate what we are called to do from why we are called to do it. The reason why is, is the gospel, right? We would not need the gospel if we didn't fall short in these things. The gospel's very intent is for people like you and I that fall short in these things. The, the only one who hasn't, who's lived this out perfectly, is Jesus. And today, if you are someone who has placed your faith in Jesus and renounced your, your own righteousness and goodness because it, it falls woefully short, and, ple- and you're pleading the righteousness of the, the one who, who stood in our place, then, then his perfect righteousness is credited to your account. You, you stand clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And his death has covered all the ways we will fall short of living this out. Friends, trust that he has taken care of this for you. Second, notice what Peter says here in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, in other words, this isn't a call to perfection in these areas. Peter's concern is progress, not perfection. Are they increasing? Are, are, are you growing? I, I love how, how Peter even presents this list. There's, there's just this kind of one foot in front of the other rhythm to it, right? There's just this add-to-faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, just one, one step at a time, right? It's, we, we make progress little by little. Have you seen progress over time? Has your faith grown this past year? Do, do you love God more than you, you once did? Are, are you seeking to let that love increasingly infiltrate your life where it's, you're, you're sharing that love with others in increasing ways? Have God's promises become increasingly sweet to you? Over the years, are we moving forward? Just little by little are we making progress? Perhaps as we consider this for some, the answer might be, no, I don't I don't think I am. I don't think I'm growing. And this too is, is what the gospel's for. Right? God, God is delighted when we are willing to face reality and to do something about it. And that is simply to, to cling to his promise that, that we are forgiven, and to cling to his promise that he enables us to live these lives and that he gives us. Fresh starts, even today, his mercies are new every morning. The gospel empowers us, friends. He He is worthy of our every effort and pursuit. Peter to encourage us that 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 he's worthy of this effort and worthy of this pursuit holds out why this this is all so important. Um, as, as he reminds us, what God has promised for those who whose lives are lived in pursuit of godliness. And let's look at our third and final point, and this point will be much shorter than the others. Uh, Point number three, the, the promise of godliness. Listen to what Peter says God promises to those who invest their lives in the pursuit of godliness. In verse eight, he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are promised as, as we pursue godliness in an ever-increasing measure that, that we will have the joy of a life used by God for his purposes. It says we are, we're spea- spared from a, a life of ineffectiveness and, and unfruitfulness. The word ineffective here literally means to be useless. He's saying a life in pursuit of godliness will, will keep us from the, the tragedy of, of wasting the lives we've been given. And friends, don't we all desire to live, live lives of profound purpose and meaning? These lives can only be found in living out the, the purpose and meaning of the, the one who created us and then calls us to himself with plans and purposes far bigger than, than any plan or purpose that we, we could come up with for ourselves. As Jesus tells his disciples in John fifteen sixteen. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I called you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Pursuing godliness leads to the, the very fruitfulness we've been, we've been called to. It leads to fulfilling our very purpose in life. Now, I I don't know what comes to your mind when you, when you think of well, what does it mean to, to live an effective and, and fruitful? Christian life, we, we, we can all have kind of different ideas. You know, for, for some, we may picture these kind of spiritual superhero, we're leading thousands to Christ, you know, le- leading the, the most effective and wonderful Bible studies and, and uh, you know the most effective ministries. But if you if you think about it, what does it mean to to be fruitful? What is fruit? It's it's fruit is the overflow of life. It's it's the product of growth. Spiritually speaking, it's the overflow of our lives as we partake of the divine nature. It's it's his life in us just spilling over, affecting those around us. Friends, this is the fruitfulness the Lord is looking for. God's not interested in this this kind of spirituality where we just run around and do a lot of what we think are good things and we neglect our own souls in the process. He he desires us to to bear fruit out of the the overflow of of our lives. He says, if if we find that we are lacking this fruit in our lives as believers, he, he has a diagnosis. He says this is a sure sign that we are suffering from a case of gospel amnesia. He says it in verse 9: For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In other words, if you're living fruitlessly. I'm not sure if that's a word. There, there, there may be aspect, there, there must be aspects of the gospel that you're not connecting to your life. When, when rightly understood, the gospel, our, our reason we talked about for, for what we do, leads us to a life of fruitfulness. It says, on, on the other hand, gospel amnesia will, will lead us to, to spiritual nearsightedness. We, we can only see what, what's right in front of us. We, we become all wrapped up in our, our own little worlds. We're, we're living for a, a different trinity of, of me, myself, and I. Peter is saying, if this is you, you, you've forgotten in some way the, the, the life-altering, vision-expanding realities of this gospel that we hold on to. The gospel, when, when rightly understood, draws us out of living for our, our own little kingdom, and, a, a, and, and draws us into a, a life lived in service of a, a far greater and far more glorious kingdom. The, the gospel isn't just about us getting to heaven to someday. We, we, we now have different purposes, uh, uh, different meaning for our lives. Because of that, we, we, we live differently. We do different things. That's why Peter tells him in verse 10, To therefore, brothers... Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. He's saying, give even greater attention to this. I told you before to make every effort. Well, well, on top of that, add some even more effort to to that. Live in such a way that there's no question what kingdom you're living for. Confirm this calling you're living out. Friends, nothing is more important than us living for this kingdom. Here's the thing. Before we know it, like Peter, our our time is going to be up, right? This this is all going to to fly by so fast, as as I'm sure you've you've, you've felt already. I used to kind of smile and politely nod when when, people would see me with my young kids. Like, oh, they're going to grow up so fast. Yeah, okay, you know, and, and I blinked and they're all teenagers now, right? Peter knows his day is quickly approaching when he will stand before Christ and, and, and I'm sure he's feeling this has all flown by so fast and he knows the same is true for those who, to whom are, are reading his letter it's going to fly by there's a, a sobriety this brings friends we need to remember this day is approaching and, 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 and to think about it often we, we need to live in light of this day And 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 never lose sight of the gospel. And and, and as we as we do, we we are are told we have this promise. Peter says, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we make our way to the, the kingdom that awaits. He's saying, you're not going to slip and, and fall on your way and fail to arrive. He's saying your arrival is, is guaranteed. That's what we heard last week in Jude, right? To him who's able to keep us from stumbling. And not, not only is our arrival guaranteed, but, but if we, we've sought to live out the kind of life that Peter has, has been urging us to live, not only are we guaranteed to get there, but, but he says when, when you're showing up, you're, you're not trying to like look for a side door to, to find an entrance to, to get into. It says there will be provided richly for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. There, there, there's this, this picture here of, of showing up to this epic celebration in our honor. Commentators have said this would have been similar to the reception of a Olympic champion returning to his, his home country to a, a lavish celebration, richly provided in his honor. No, no expense spared. Celebration of one that that while away has has brought great honor to to the country to which he's now returned. The the red carpet has been rolled out in honor of a a life that has brought great glory and honor to its king. Friends, this is what Peter is giving us a vision for. He's saying, have have an ambition to make an entrance. Live with this day in mind. The, the, the glory of earth, all the, the accolades you receive here will all fade away, but the glory in that place, how sweet it will be to, to enter into heaven and to have the, the only voice that, that truly matters, the, the king of the universe, say to us, well done, good and faithful servants. Then as the, the chorus of heaven erupts and there's clapping and and we make our entrance, we'll, we'll realize the only reason we can make every effort is because he has been supplying us with the strength we needed to do so each step of the way. He gave us all things we needed for life and godliness. We get an entrance of glory and then we, we, we turn around and just give all the glory back to the one who called us to his own glory and excellence And declare, this this was all you're doing. You saved me. You kept me. You brought me through all the the twists and turns of life. I'm here because of you. There'll there'll just be this this overflow of praise that that rises up in our hearts. Friends, what a a day this will be. Christ's church, in light of this day, let us make every effort Let's not waste our lives on frivolous things that do not matter. Let's give ourselves to pursuing godliness so that when we get to heaven, there's a, an entrance we'll get to make and there is praise that we will get to proclaim. Amen. Let's pray.